Good morning. The reading today is taken from Psalm 78 and it's verses 1 to 4. O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things from of old, which we have heard and known from what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his power and the wonders he has done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for these old words, for how they still challenge and encourage us. And we pray that you would be with us as we listen to them, that what they say, their truths, their promises, would be ours to keep. Amen. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Lynn, for reading. Um, just a couple of, just a thing, um, the translation in your back of your chairs is slightly different from the one we've got on the software uh, that we use uh, to project. So if there were some issues there, we can't get this translation actually as an electronic version anymore, I think. So um, th there we go. Somebody's nodding. So that's, that's the difference, just in case you're wondering. I'm not trying to slip something past you. Um, let's let's um, have a look at these, uh, these really well-known words that may be a bit more recent and a bit more familiar. Uh, one night I had a dream. And as I was walking along a beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. My Lord whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. A wonderful poem. A wonderful poem that captures the loving kindness of God in the darkest and sometimes saddest, as the poet writes, saddest and darkest times of our lives. I'm sure many of us have had comfort during those periods. And I'm glad that they do. But our life isn't always the saddest and lowest of times, isn't it? A lot of the time, things are kind of normal. And I suspect that if we were to be honest about this poem and our relationship with God, what is more likely, as Jill's about to project for us, is the rest of the time there's a version of this poem in which God has to drag us. That we, there are, there's two trails, there's a groove... There's one set of footprints, definitely, where he carries us, but there's another long groove where we have to be dragged, where kicking and screaming, we enter the kingdom of God. And that's, that, that, for me, kind of that's, that almost sums up our relationship with God sometimes, doesn't it? We ought, to, we ought to be cautious 
We want him when stuff's really difficult, and, and absolutely he's there. He's also there when things are going well. He's also there when there's new opportunities and there's things to be done. And sometimes this psalm helps us sort of throw a little bit of a light on that. Um, last week, you can keep that up, that'll keep if, for as long as people are amused. Um, last week, we reminded ourselves that Christ is over all things. We looked at Colossians chapter 1, where Paul wrote to this church that to play the part in the kingdom they were in, they were part of now, Jesus' kingdom, they had to recognize, it would be helpful to recognize, that he had died to redeem and bring all things back to himself. All things were made through him, and all things will come back to him. And that was really helpful for them, because they were tempted to just do things the way the rest of the world was doing them. He wanted to give them confidence that they had a role to play, that Christ has a role for them to play in the community. Just like today, we have a role to play in this community, but in the broader community of Christians around the world, around those Christians who are trying to help those who have next to nothing or not at all, we are playing a role in that great expression of God's love. So that's really helpful for us, isn't it? That Paul wanted the church And we looked at that last week to be reminded that all things were important to Christ. And that's good news. It's good news uh, for us, isn't it? We have the confidence then to look at our work, look at our volunteering, look at our family lives and what's going on around us, our neighborhoods, in a different way. That these are things that God is interested in because Christ died to bring it back to the way he would want it. And that's great. Good news for the way we think about what we do tomorrow. Uh, the work that we do, uh, and and the people that we meet. That's helpful. But you might be thinking, what does that actually look like? What does it look like to be redeeming things? What does it, how does it actually play out? Do I go into the room and then a horde of angels comes in to help me when things get tricky? Is that how God works? Is that the experience of the church and Christians? Or is something else going on because when you go out into the world and we take that love and that faith with us what we find is that there's lots more wrong with the world than we initially thought even more than we thought that people are not that receptive to God's love his mission his kindnesses as we hoped and some of them do the opposite of what we would expect and then you leave the church and then you move out of the church and find out it's even bigger and more challenging outside of that that the world is a bit of a muddle, isn't it? And what this psalm helps remind me is that it's about God and his work in redeeming, bringing back to what it can be, his creation. And Psalm 78 has two key ideas. Would you, if you haven't got it open already, could you have it open? It's on page 914. There are two key ideas that I found really helpful here. The first, the first is from verse two, excuse me. I will open my mouth in parables, Psalm 78 verse two. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things, hidden things from of old. 
is really quite sort of distinct. In the Hebrew, it's actually the dark sayings of old. Jesus picks up this idea in Matthew chapter 13, where he talks about the difficulty that people have understanding his parables. And I'm glad that that translation used the word parable, because these sayings are mysterious. They don't always make sense at the first reading. And the idea of being dark means that it needs some wisdom and spiritual insight to unlock, to open up, to make sense. A lot of us, and it goes, I think, I think it goes a little bit like this. A lot of us, children, adults, older boys and girls, we all, we do things, don't we? We do puzzles. I mean, particularly during COVID, we, we got ourselves into lots of things to occupy our minds and change activity, and that was healthy for us, and it was good. And that thing about putting things together, putting pieces together, it is important. We've, we've got a family WhatsApp group for the New York Times Wordle. It's only one a day, but it keeps us, like, focused. What are we doing? And, of course, like any puzzle, you have to put clues together until you get this result. You get this kind of word at the end that you go, oh, it's that. And I got six out, you know, it took six turns out of six rather than three, like the rest of my family seemed to. But there's a wonderful thing in which we're piecing things together. And I sometimes think that's a helpful way of looking at what God is calling us to do. Because what the church does, what, what, what we sometimes do is we've got, sorry, there's a, there's a caution don't slip thing under my foot, which I'm slipping on. <laughs> I'm actually slipping on the trip hazard. Sorry. Um, what, the, what, the, what we can sometimes do is present Christianity as something that's all sorted and all packed together and it's done. Now, I've met people like that and I find them a little irritating, but, but it's not, is it? We go out into the world and we find out that it's not quite right, that something's not quite there uh, and, it, and, and people are searching for an answer or they haven't quite, they don't know what to do and neither do we sometimes. These dark sayings of old, these parables are in to help us try to understand how to behave, how to help, how to bring God's loving kindness where it's not necessarily been known before. And if we sometimes present, well, because the, the, the Bible says we win in the end. Yes? Amen? Yeah, one or two. Okay, you're getting there. The Bible says that in the end, it's all sorted out. But what about until then? What about until then? What do we, what do we say to people? What's the comfort that we can bring? What's the, what's the hope that we have? And sometimes we have to just piece the little bit that's going to be the clue for, the ne- for, for us and for the people around us to find the next bit, like a, like a daisy chain. We're putting it, it all together. And it's, sometimes it takes a little more than we might expect. I heard a lovely story. It was really, really, actually really formative for me. I heard a very moving story about a young woman who, having been in a church service, a big church with lots going on, on the way out, probably off to coffee or perhaps to help at a stall somewhere, um, but on the way out, this woman started rolling around on the floor, lashing out, kicking and screaming. And what the church, what, what the instant response within the church was that people formed a circle and started praying over her. And that's, you know, that's quite interesting. But after a while, nothing changed. 
She was still kicking and screaming and shouting and, and deeply, deeply distressed. Then eventually, a man comes and he says, can you everybody step back and give her some room? Would you like to come and sit with me and I will just listen? What amazing thing to do. And over the next few hours that day, and then the next week, and then the next month, he kept listening to her story, and a journey of healing began. Now, I don't think he didn't believe in God's authority over spiritual darkness and things like that. I doubt that he had no idea about things like the power of prayer. But what he did was he took something that he understood and put it into that puzzle piece. He took that puzzle piece and added it to the situation that they were in. You see, I think he knew things like this. There's a lovely verse in Proverbs 14, and maybe Proverbs is a good place to delve. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness, but no stranger shares its joy. A curious verse. What's that about? Isn't it about being trapped and not being able to tell somebody what's going on? And then, because of that, not being able to, to talk about how God had been healing and kind? So I suspect that chap knew something like that about what God is like. That he knew this woman was under dis in distress. That he knew that these problems are often rooted in our hearts. And he also believed that God knew the heart. And what he brought into that scenario was the kindness of God. That God would be prepared to listen. Isn't our highest picture in the Old Testament, certainly, of Moses and God talking. God, as a man, speaks with his friend. Something of God's character, something of that man's understanding of God's character was brought into the life of a distressed person. And it made a difference, but it didn't happen instantly. It was part of a piece of a bigger puzzle. And what this psalm asks us to do, I think, what it challenges us to do is to be able to remember the great things about God, what he has done, and take it into the world with us. Take it into the people, the meetings, the, the family social occasions, whatever it is that we have, because God perseveres with his people. All through this psalm, we see that God perseveres with the people. And sometimes they're kicking off, and sometimes they're digging their heels in, and sometimes they don't know what to do. But God perseveres. That is the first most important message, isn't it? That when you sign up with God, he commits to you. He commits to you. That's awesome. The second thing is in verse 4. We will not hide these deeds and wonders from the, our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. The musician is called a person called Asaph. I don't know much about Asaph, um, but he's writing about Israel's past. You'll notice that it's kind of quite old-fashioned because he keeps talking about them being called Jacob. So he's talking about their early history. And if you look, you'll see through the psalm, scan it later, uh, but you'll see that there's the exodus, there's the captivity in Egypt, there's the exodus, 
There's the wandering in the wilderness for 40 odd years. There's water from the rock. There's manna from heaven. There's quail from who knows where. And then there's the battle for the promised land. That's that, that was a key bit of their history, that God had faithfully taken them out of slavery and placed them in a land that would be kind and receptive and harmonious for them. That's what he did. And that's recorded. But also recorded is Jacob's, or Israel's, stubbornness, their rebellion, their idolatries, the things that they wanted to do instead. There, so it's where God comes to you and says, I've got this brilliant idea to save you and make a wonderful person. And you come back with, well, here's my counteroffer. This is what I'd like to do instead. And that's, and that's kind of what we're like as well. In this psalm, I see what I'm like. I see what lots of us, I imagine, are like. Because God does these wonderful things, and we just seem to stop. We seem to sort of slow down a bit. Instead of this message of hope, which is verse 7, if you just read down the page a little bit, then they would tr put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds. Instead of placing our simple trust in Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of this plan, we find ourselves kicking off about it. But let's just think about that. This simple confidence that God will one day sort it out that it will be okay. Not to sort of ignore the situation around us, but to have something to hold on to in the middle of it all. You think about the world around us at the moment, all the uncertainty. We're still, you know, we're still wrestling with climate change. That hasn't magically disappeared. Nobody really knows the implications of what Brexit has brought to us. There's war in Ukraine, and, that makes, and who knows what that will happen there. We're facing economic uncertainty, later, certainly later this year. And in the middle of it all, lots of people are not sure who they are. What's valuable to them? What makes them, what makes them who they are? How do they count? And we have this story in which Jesus says, I'm going to come in and show you how precious you are to me. My precious child. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. What wonderful things the Lord himself wants to say because of how much he loves us. So the purpose of knowing these stories is to be able to share with the people around us, particularly those younger than ourselves, about the faithfulness of God through all these things and his purpose is to bring us to know him because hope is otherwise in pretty short supply. But there's a sting in the tale. We have this loving Heavenly Father who, who calls us to understand his wisdom, that he wants us to understand the world, and he calls us to trust that he's involved in it, integrally part of it. But there's this other little thing as well, isn't there? It relies a little bit on us as well. It takes something from us. The poem Footprints talks about God carrying us when we can't walk. And that's fine. That's great. That's what he does. But the psalm also tells us that sometimes when we can walk, we're not even facing the right direction. We're not even pointing in the right way. 
Verse 8, have a quick look. They would not be, we want to tell our next, the next generation and perhaps remind ourselves because they're stubborn and rebellious. This, the stubbornness um, has that uh, Hebrew idea of digging in your heels because you just don't want to do it. You're happy enough where you are. Um, I won't say which of our children. I used to enjoy a Sunday afternoon walk. I won't say which of our children, but they, they really struggled with this idea. And on one occasion, one of them managed to grab the sides of a door with not just their fingers, but also their toes. And I found myself holding them and pulling against four limbs, which were fixed, it seemed, with, with, with um, no more nails, to the surround of this door, digging in our heels. I just want to take you out and show you something wonderful. It's a lovely day. No, I don't want to go. Aren't we like that sometimes? Sometimes this stubbornness. I'm happy where I am. I don't want to be disturbed. It doesn't matter how good it is. This is okay. Well, we need to address that. Sometimes we're called to do these things, aren't we? And we say, no, I don't want to do it. The second word in that verse 8, the stubbornness I've just dealt with, the rebelliousness is more about a mutiny and spite. I'm going to do it in No, tell you what, God, it's back to that counteroffer. Thanks, God, but I want to do it this way. And in fact, I don't want you in charge at all. I want you out of my way. I don't want you making decisions over me. What do you know? Well, God does know. But our hearts tend to sort of go in those two directions. We either dig our heels in or we try to take over. Who can lead us if we do that? So I'm forced when I'm reading this psalm. I'm sorry I've gone on a bit longer than I expected. Um, But I'm forced when I'm reading this psalm to think, yeah, okay, I'm not in a dark place. I'm not, I, I don't, the Lord isn't carrying me because of sadnesses and what have you. But at the same time, Am I facing, which way am I facing? Am I actually facing the right way? Am I listening to the Lord or is it out of the corner of my eye or is he having to say something behind my back? Am I open to hear the story that he's calling me to be part of? The story of all of his people and the story of his perseverance and loving kindness to us all. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, you call us through your prophets and your disciples to walk before you and be holy. And we thank you for your faithfulness along the way. We pray that we would be encouraged and carried and jubilant to know that you are with us and we thank you that you promise to be with us help us to be aware of the movement of your life around us and within us amen